Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And today we are wrapping up Murder Hair Don't, Don't Care. Care Week. And I've brought you a true doozy because I've brought you a man who has a hair fetish. Oh. As Murder Hair Don't Care. You sent me a picture of this man just as a little little teaser. Mm-hmm. This is a really unfortunate looking man. Yes, it is. And um, I make reference to that several times. So we'll just, we'll get on with it. But just be warned. It's so we have a hair fetish. This is the first hair fetish we've ever done. This was the only hair fetish killer that I could find. Oh, I mean, really? Yeah, there's a lot of hair fetish weirdo people. like things that happened that people have reported, but this is the the only one that I could find that actually committed murder. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get started, I do want to just thank our Patreons because because of them, I was able to purchase three books yes for this episode so you want to talk about a deep dive just nestle in everyone get nice and snug because i have so much detail and it is because we reinvest what our patreons donate back mm-hmm. into our podcast thank you so everyone thank you so much everyone and if you want to learn more about that because you do get lots of extra content lots more us go to crime curious patreon or on our website there's a link for it as well which is crimecuriouspodcast.com and also thank you to some people who have recently left us some amazingly nice reviews we love reading mm-hmm. them i think we should do a contest sometime for like funniest review or nicest oh, review that would or be something fun. like that I think we let's talk about that in the next production meeting because that'll be that would be a lot of fun. But if you feel like it, please give us a good rating and a, a nice review. We read all of them. We take them all to heart. So um, just thank you to everyone who has done that so yes, far. Yes, thank you. All right, let's move on with murder hair don't care. Yeah, let's hear about this hair fetish. Okay, we're gonna start with our first victim though, and her name is Elisa Claps. She was born January twenty fourth, nineteen seventy seven to Antonio and Philomena Claps. They were tobacconists in their hometown of Potenza, Italy. So this is not an American case. Okay. It is an Italian case, which then goes to the UK, but it was known worldwide at the time that it was happening because it's bananas. The Claps family were a family of devout Catholic faith. They were well-liked within their small village of Tito, which was where they lived just outside of Potenza. And all I could think of was the vodka. Like the mm. same. I love some Tito's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mad props to Tito's. Yes. <laughs> but they were a loving family. Every Sunday after Mass, they had family lunch together. On Sunday, September 12th, 1993. The Claps were planning a lunch together. Mm-hmm. So Mama and Papa Claps are making lunch with their middle child, 20-year-old son, Lou Johnner. And they're awaiting the arrival of their two other children, 24-year-old Gildo and 16-year-old Elisa. So she's the baby of the family. Okay. It sounds like a nice little 
afternoon. Yes. It's a, it was a bright sunny day. I like mama and papa claps. Yeah, mama papa claps. When Gilda walked through the door without Elisa, her parents questioned why, like, hey, where's Where your sister? And he's like, oh, well, she was coming home with her friend Eliana Dieselis. Earlier at 11 a.m., Eliana picked Elisa up. Mm-hmm. And they had told mama and papa claps, we're going to go to mass and then we'll be home. Gildo was kind of like, um, yeah, he's, Elisa is with Eliana and she wasn't at mass. So oh. they're like, oh, um, okay. They don't panic right away, but they were worried when she's now missed their time for lunch, which was not like her. Yeah. Um, you don't, I mean, I wouldn't miss lunch by choice. No, of course so. not. No, I don't miss any meals by right. choice. I, I mean, my family would raise an eyebrow yes. as well. Then worry really creeps in when Eliana intercoms their home, so calls, mm-hmm. to inquire if Elisa had returned home because actually, because Eliana was supposed to be having lunch with the Claps family as well. That was their plan. We're going to go to mass, and then we're going to um, go back to the Claps family for lunch. Elisa was a very kind break girl. She had a very pretty smile. She had brown hair, brown eyes. She was in her third year of high school in Potenza. She had aspirations to become a physician. Mm. She actually wanted to work at a nonprofit providing medical services. Oh, so she that had like life huge goals, heart. Mm-hmm. generous. Yes. She was a devout Catholic, just like her family. She was devoted to her family. She had a really soft heart. And some said that she could be a bit naive. Now, she had been asked out several times by a man slightly older than she, 21-year-old dental student Danilo Restivo. Okay. He even proposed marriage, which she politely declined. Whoa, back off now. He was intense. Yep. Elisa did not care for Danilo's large lips, feminine voice, and (laughs) frumpy slug-like face. (laughs) So she she uh, wasn't digging his personal appearance. Um, I'm he gathering. looks like a freaking blowfish on drugs. And this is our is this our guy that we're talking about? This is our perpetrator. Because I have the vi- the visual of the picture you sent me. Yep. That is Danilo. I guess I don't blame her for not no. being interested. Even worse, he was well known in the village to be a freaking creeper. Oh, okay. Okay. So he was like the town creeper. He was with this feminine voice and this frumpy ass look about him. Elisa even wrote in her diary about feeling sorry for Restivo and declining his affections and advancements. If you take it to the diary... She like, did. So she genuinely did feel bad. Like, she you did. are creepy, but yeah. I do feel bad for you. I feel bad for you because everyone thinks you're a creeper because you are. Because you they, really are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you you but also I'm nice. look like a frumpy blowfish. <laughs> you know, but, like everyone can't be but beautiful. But my soft side feels bad for yeah. you. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. And she also specifically documented in her diary that he made her uncomfortable. Mm. He was super awkward okay although not interested and and she like i said she felt sorry for him restivo had asked her to meet him at the back of the church after mass on september 12 1993 claiming that he had a gift for her because she had passed her exams at school 
And her being naive and the soft heart that she is was too polite to say no. Yeah. So what was really going on is when Eliana picks her up at her home at 11 a.m. Elisa told her brother that she would be back after mass and she told her parents she was going to mass. But the problem is the two girls never planned to attend the mass. Instead, Elisa was secretly meeting with Restivo while Eliana was going to, she walked to some nearby pair of payphones to phone her boyfriend and to wait for Elisa because Elisa is like, I'm, I'll be a half an hour tops. Now, I'm going to throw this out there right now. I read actual books on this case, not just, uh, there's tons of articles. There's a lot of articles with fake information. There always are. There's, I try, I attempted to watch a couple of YouTubers who do like a podcast on this, but they had the facts so messed up that it turned me off and I couldn't handle it anymore. And I knew they weren't right away, they weren't going to be a good resource, but there is some confusion about whether or not she attended mass or not. But in the book, um, which will be linked in the show notes, but one of the books that I really loved was called Blood on the Altar, and it was by Tobias Jones. This one, to me, is the most credible resource that you could find. The other one um, was called The Cutter by Michael Litchfield. And then another book I read was called Out for Blood. This didn't have a ton of detail Mm because it has 18 true crime stories in it by Gary C. King, but it still um, still had some good legitimate information. There is some confusion as to whether or not she actually attended mass. For the purposes of understanding what happened, she had agreed to meet Danilo for this gift at the Holy Trinity Church. Okay. And her parents did not know that the only person who knew that she was meeting Danilo was Eliana her best friend. So she told her friend like, hey, I'm yes. gonna go get this gift. Yes. Okay. So Eliana left Elisa and headed towards some telephone booths down the street, like I said, while Elisa headed behind the Holy Trinity Church to meet Danilo Restivo. And she's like, I will see you in a half an hour. Eliana was the last person to see Elisa alive of her friends, of mm, course. Okay. So the family went to the police who would not immediately start the investigation and kept telling the family that she is just hanging out with her friends, she's going to turn up, but the family knows their daughter and knows that she was of responsible character, she was an obedient child, and would never let her family worry like this. Always pisses me off when I hear that. I mean, I get it from a police standpoint that you're like, we can't just you know attend to every fire that a family thinks they're having but at the same time families know their loved ones we've had various cases where the family knew something was wrong yes and the police are like oh it's yeah she's just being a kid it's just you know she may have just wandered off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. brother lujaner got a group of friends and they start searching for elisa and it wasn't until a bit later that eliana admits to the claps family what the girls had really been up to and that they never intended on attending mass and informs the family that elisa was planning to meet Danilo Restivo. The Claps brothers did not like Danilo Restivo. Mm. They always questioned his intentions with their sister. Mm-hmm. They knew that he was a creeper around town. There were rumors surrounding him already at the age of 21 about him having a hair fetish for women, touching women's hair and himself while he did it. And and there's more that I'll bring to light that comes to light in the investigation. So So, I don't want to jump ahead. Okay. So he was like publicly, like he would demonstrate some of these behaviors. At this point in time, there were rumors. But there's something that you need to know about Danilo Restivo. 
He comes from a very wealthy and prominent family in the area. Oh, so that made a difference probably with some of the... It made a difference through this whole entire case. Okay, good to know. So they continue to search uh, for all over the city for Elisa. One of the brothers, there was conflicting information of whether or not it was Gildo or if it was Lujaner, but... It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. I'm gonna say it was probably Gildo. Gildo, excuse me. But he called because I just because I saw that in more reports mm-hmm. than and in the book than the other. But mm-hmm. he called the Restivo home and he got the runaround. You know, questioning like, "Hey, the jig is up. Yeah, we know you met with with Elisa, and now we can't find her. What's going on?" Danilo was given in the runaround, saying he only saw her briefly and that she left the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's just like, "I don't know." Gildo goes to the Restivo home and questions Danilo face to face. It was obvious Danilo was hesitant to come to the door. Mm. He stuttered over his answers and he was sweating profusely. Okay, so he's. The brother's picking up bro- on some shady yes. behaviors. Yep, who he tells the police all this to as well. But Danilo claims that he met with Elisa for 15 minutes, then she left, and he stayed to pray. He said that Elisa was upset because a man had just harassed her downtown, and she was shaken up by it. So right now, he is trying to throw suspicion off from himself. Uh-huh. And on to a made-up person in the city. While he's sweating profusely. While he's sweating profusely, and... While the brother notices that he's got a cut on the back of his hand. Oh. And he's like, yeah, I fell in a construction site and I needed a stitch, which I got earlier today. But this is the same day. So he was like, yeah, earlier in the day I went and got med- medically treated. Oh, it was so bandaged. he's building it like had, a, I was away. You know, he returned to the church to look through the pews. The brother returns through the to the church to look through the pews. There's nothing turns up. But there was a door that leads to the altar area upstairs. Okay. There's like an there's this wooden door that you that's at the that's if you picture a church, there is a usually a door that is at the altar. Mm-hmm. Okay, on one side if not both sides mm-hmm. of it. So this goes up to an attic area that overlooks the city. Okay. That door, he wants to go into that door, but it is locked. And he was told by there was a person in in the church and he was told that the only person that has the key to it was the priest who was whose name was Don Sabia. He was more commonly known as Don Mimi. Oh. Don Mimi. <laughs> I don't know if Mimi was his middle name. I'm not sure, but. It's, ca- it's more catchy. It I is. say that. It is. So here we are with this Mimi motherfucker, right? <laughs> and I'm saying that. I is know pe- Mimi a little uh, questionable? Mm-hmm. Okay. I know people are like, oh my God, that's a man of God. Why would you say? Mm, no. Not so much. No, he was not a he was not a true man of God. We will find out. Okay. I will note that. So he had left a while. Um, Don Mimi had locked the door and then left after mass on Sunday for a retreat for the next couple of days. So he's not in town mm-hmm. at all. It isn't until Monday that the police kind of start to like, take oh, okay, this maybe. a little more seriously at the pressure of the Claps family, and they start making in- inquiries. But they're still reassuring the family she's more than likely with friends and will turn up. And at this point, they're like, absolutely not. Oh, yeah. Our daughter would never do this. Yes, they're, they're convinced something has happened to her. But they would not immediately question Danilo. 
again because of his family's prominence. His dad was like some major head honcho of the library community. Like, okay. Which to you know, you know, to us today it sounds so crazy because libraries are like practically non-existent. Right. But these are like historical big libraries in Italy. Okay. So and they're like he a is big like deal. on the board. Yeah, he's a big a big wealthy man. Okay. So they, they well known is what gotcha. I mean. He's a big well known man. Yeah. So they put off the questioning. Yep, they did. I'm not liking what I'm hearing. Basically, right from the beginning, the entire investigation was clusterfucked, is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they do finally go and question Danilo, he behaves like the slime that's secreted by worms to move through the earth. Mm. Okay, he's just like this (laughs) slimy, scummy... Just slithering, like a slithering blowfish just just frumpy as well (laughs) yes and he tells them that he met with elisa sunday after mass for 15 minutes he said that he had arranged the meeting because he wanted to ask her some questions about another girl that he was interested in and she was friends with this girl so she could give him some advice so now he's trying to make it sound to the police like he's not romantically interested in elisa separating himself like i didn't have a thing for her he then goes on to say elisa was not happy at home and she was gonna run away to a really sketch part of the country where there is a lot of known drug and violent and human trafficking Boy, activity. really got the details from her. Yeah, in Very 15 specific, minutes. yes. And isn't it interesting to note that he tells that to the police, but doesn't tell that to the brother who questioned him the day before? Mm-hmm. Because he knows damn well the brother would have called bullshit on that bullshit. And there's already the story floating around too because her friend knew that elisa was going to meet right, him for mm-hmm. a gift right right yeah so now we already have like all of these stories yes, going on because he never mentions to the police the gift he tells the police i wanted to meet her because i'm interested in this other girl and she was going to give me the 411 on the other girl and it's the 90s so that's what they said the 411. <laughs> I, I bet it is so he's secreting slime like everywhere nonstop. yes it's all over it is the walls following him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's leaving a trail of worm slime <laughs> secretion <laughs> he really is mm-hmm. so once the police look into danilo recibo they discover that there have been several complaints made about him in the past from young girls most recently was that he had called girls who lived in a flat directly across from his house That's an important piece of information for later. Okay. Just to tell them descriptions of the clothes that they were wearing to freak them out. Oh my gosh. He had a remarkably feminine voice, which just adds to (laughs) the whole picture of him. So picture a blowfish that slimes like a worm with a feminine voice. I I need to hear his voice. I looked so hard for audio clips and could not find them, but I'm just like, it's got to be more feminine than ours. Just like... Hi, I can see that yeah. you're wearing. I like your purple yeah. pants. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Like the old man from uh, uh, Family Guy. The, the oh, yeah. Guy. Yeah. It's exactly it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it, it gives me chills thinking about how creepy it must what have been. What I'm figuring is that his feminine voice is probably because his tiny balls never descended, leaving him in, oh. like, a man-child state. Maybe. Maybe they, they were still in stuck. inside of his body. They were. 
They were. So he would also play music into the phone from horror movie soundtracks. And he did this for several months just before the disappearance of Elisa. Oh my gosh, I would have been moving so far away from that. Well, to make matters worse, he sent them pornographic drawings and death threats under false names as well. These same girls? These same girls that live directly Ew, across from him. Why is he so gross? It's, it's not only that, but it's just like he has this laziness for like, yeah, they're in close proximity. I'll harass them. Yeah, okay. It's like I can see them and they're yeah, easy and he to... he lives in a very nice home. Obviously, his family is rich, so for the area. And he's just her at, just sitting there. Tell me if I'm jumping ahead, but did he have something going on? Like any diagnosis, disorders, something? It never comes up. Okay. I mean, obviously he does. He has hair fetishes. So right. So we have some serious, but... But his family is ri- rich and wealthy yep. and they just happen to have this really odd... Awkward, blowfish, slimy kid. When Restivo was only 14, and this was on his record as well, he was playing a game of Cowboys and Indians. Yuck. That always ends badly. (sighs) For sure. And it's like the most racist game there is. Uh When he told them that he would take his friends, he had these two little boys that he was playing with, to his secret hideout. He then proceeds to tie their hands up, blindfold them, and then started putting small lacerations with a knife on these other kids. Oh, my gosh. The youngest child had a cut on his neck that required stitches. So here it is. The family of the two boys pressed charges, so it was in the system. But they later settled outside a court when the Restivo family paid a small financial sum to the boys' families. So daddy bought his way out. Yeah. Yep. Amazing what money will do. Yep. The police, during this investigation of Elisa's disappearance, they also got an anonymous tip that Restivo liked to cut off locks of women's hair. Like naming, and, they, and the police knew they had been getting reports. So, okay. Police. So there's been complaints because he is clearly. Yes. Police knew they had been getting reports from women of their hair randomly being cut off by a creeper Can man. Can you imagine? Mm-mm. You're just no. like sitting in a restaurant. And, and you snip. get an unwanted free haircut. Yeah. And oh then turn gosh. around and there's this man touching himself while he does it. Warf. It happened on bus stations and it happened on um, like at the movie theater. Would he expose himself or was it no. just like a... Like, he would no. clip it, he's and he's, trench like, rubbing. Coat. No, trench coat, scissors in pocket. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's still so creepy, though. It is. And so people they, had made complaints. They had. Yeah, so women all over Italy are making complaints about this happening. But, of course, they're not connecting this to Elisa Clapp's disappearance, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's no reason to connect those two pieces of information until they get this anonymous tip that's like, hey, it's Restivo that is cutting off these women's hair. And it's a small, remember, like Potenza is not a small village. It's like a bigger city, but there's a lot of smaller villages outside of it. Mm-hmm. So us living in a small town, we know how the rumor mill works oh, yeah. day and night. You get a name out there and people are yes. like, oh yeah, I know the so-and-so. Yep. And so, and to make matters worse, he's from a wealthy, prominent family. So it's even juicier. Mm-hmm. The worm is juicier. Oh, it's it's so juicy. So they're like, okay, let's, let's kind of look at this a little bit. They went to Danilo's father. His name is Mauricio Restivo and asked him to provide them with the clothes that Danilo was wearing the day Elisa Claps disappeared. He was like, yeah, I'll show you the clothes when you show me a warrant. 
Daddy's pulling the big guns out. They did not have a warrant. And him simply being the last known person to meet with Elisa was not enough to get a warrant. And you'll find out a little bit more about that in a minute. But so Papa's protecting his little little slimy His little slimy worm. Mm -hmm. So they noticed that Restivo was very exact in his responses down down to the times and it all seemed very rehearsed. They asked him to take them back to the place where he injured his hands and reenact his movements from when he met with Elisa because they were not convinced that the injury on his hand happened the way that he said it happened. Mm -hmm. Nothing strikes red flags more for me than someone being able to pinpoint every event of that day down to time. Yeah. I could not tell you what I did this morning. I couldn't tell you all the details about the episode we just recorded a half an hour ago. You mean you didn't listen? No, I did. But I couldn't tell you about, <laughs> like, your movements. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know that I could say what you were wearing in, an, you know, in a couple of hours. Right. Like, if I, you ask me what I did last week, I would panic because mm-hmm. I would never be able to no. tell you at 2 o'clock I was doing this. or no. it, And so when, when someone is able to break those time frames down... It screams red flags to me. Yep. Well, and they had a lot of red flags going on this because this was his explanation for how he cut his hand. He claimed that he fell head first. Ooh, watch it now. Head first down an escalator that was under construction. Oh my. Uh Uh-huh. But this dude wears delicate little glasses over his delicate little bitch eyes. He does have tiny little glasses. Tiny little glasses over his, his tiny little eyeballs. Yes. And they weren't broken. Yeah. So he did a head dive and those glasses he, he survived it. head first down a escalator. No head injuries. No head injuries. Just a cut on the hand. On the back of his hand. It was a one centimeter laceration that required a stitch. One stitch. Boy, so, is he lucky to walk away from that. Right. That was really touch and go there for a minute, dude. So they're like, take us back. Because. Yeah, like, let's huh? replay this. Uh-huh. So he does. They go back. And what he was claiming was like, why are you at this construction site anyway? anyway? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, you know, that girl that I was going to or that I was asking Elisa questions about. Well, see, her and I had come to this construction site. So the lies are just piling up at this point. A couple of days before. And so... Because what does a woman love more than than a construction site? Than going to look at a good construction site. You know, I like to take... It's the way to my heart. I like to take a man to a good construction site. Look at all the equipment. Yeah. The dirt. Lumber's expensive these days. Show me some pricey wood and I am sold. (laughs) Listen, I could do a whole podcast on pricey wood, but... We won't. <laughs> but we'll save that for another day. We will. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, as, as we see in most of these cases, lie. Mm-hmm. You have to cover up a lie with another lie. Yep. So he's claiming, like, yeah, this girl and I that I'm interested in, we came to this construction site. So after I met with Elisa, I was going to go talk to that girl again. So I just walked through this construction site again. You know, as one does. Mm-hmm. All for right. sure. So they're like, cool, making note that none of this fucking makes sense. <laughs> that's what the police know actually yeah, that's said. that's what like... it said. Uh-huh. None, with stick figures drawings, because they're just no longer listening to him anymore because he's so full of yeah, blowfish bullshit. Yeah, got like the Z's. But they're just, like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're just drawing stick figures at this point in time. I'm sure that's how it went down. And I want to make note, too, that there, the other major issue in this investigation is that there were many, many 
Baltz reported sightings of Elisa all over Italy. Oh, that does think, tend to happen. Think of her description, though. She's a 16-year-old girl in Italy. She is Italian, mm-hmm. you guys, with brown hair and brown eyes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The, Come on. So the description of probably She's everyone. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens about 10 days into the investigation, some attention begins to focus on another gentleman caller of Elisa, who's friends with, with Elisa, named Eris Gega. Okay. Okay. He's an Albanian man who denied being in the city center near the near the church despite witnesses saying that they saw him around the church that morning now was he an adult or was he like a someone her age she was friends um, with? he is like 20 i believe oh, okay. is what it said gotcha. yeah he's they're they're friends they okay. hang out gaga gave the police the name of some friends who saw him near his home on sunday okay which is not near the church and not near the city center so they're like he gaga's like go interview my friends they saw me and he told the police that he did not know danilo so when the police questioned the friends they all claimed that gaga was not home they did not see him and they thought he was probably at the city center so all the friends that gaga gave for his alibi were like no i didn't see him threw him under the bus they're just like nope didn't see him oh wow and so Thanks a lot, friends. Yes. Then, to make matters worse for Gaga, he Gaga also drove a white Fiat Uno. And there were several reports of people seeing Elisa in a white Fiat Uno that day. By the way, this type of vehicle I looked up is about as common as us seeing a Ford F-150 driving down the road. Mm, okay, so they're all they're over everywhere. the place. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, even more curiously, there was a page ripped out of Elisa's diary that was forensically pieced back together and appeared to have parts written in Romanian, which some of the more secluded parts of the country still spoke. So it was like, what is she? In, is she involved in? You know, this gave police the angle of like, oh, she may have ran away. She's involved in stuff that her family doesn't even know about. Okay? Yeah, that's kind of mysterious. Gago was questioned again in October and December, and he changed his story each time. During one interview, he claimed Danilo approached him and told him to lie to the police about not knowing one another. But really, that actually did not happen. So, December 22nd, Gago was placed under arrest for providing false information to the police. Okay. So, I, I'm just going to spoiler alert this right now. Gaga did not have anything to do with Alyssa's disappearance. But okay. Gaga and the police had a difficult time communicating. He spoke a different language. He was Albanian. There were language barriers. He did change his story. No one really, I couldn't find solid information as to why that was other than just nervousness or if it was coaxed out of him during the police interrogations, as we know does happen sometimes. But I would be but terrified. he did give false information. So he was gotcha. placed on, under arrest for that. I would that. be so scared not that I wouldn't remember all of the, the details yeah. that I would... Like, I would be so afraid of getting yeah. convicted and, and of murder look, or something. And look suspicious. Yes. Yeah. And that is that is really what happened to this poor schmuck. And then as I am, like, getting more nervous, I'm rambling more and just saying stuff. Like, I could see myself doing yeah. this. Yeah. For sure. Then there was another call placed to police who alleged that Elisa had been bundled into a white Fiat Uno and forced into prostitution. The caller ended the call by saying, help her and help me. Oh, Wow. So they traced the call back to Eliana DeSillis. What? Her best friend. Investigators were suspect of Eliana 
all along because there were aspects of her story that did not add up and she changed her aspects often like Gaga did. And here's here's the thing. She wasn't upfront at first about what no. her and Elisa had been up to because she didn't want to get into trouble. Yeah, right? I remember you saying she waited quite some time yep. to even say anything. Yeah, to even put Danilo out there, right? Well, that's an important piece. She didn't want to put Danilo out there. We're going to come back to it. But the reason that the investigators were suspicious of her all along is because when they're doing these initial, like when, on that Monday when they started the investigation and started asking around, they had not interviewed Danilo yet. Mm-hmm. There were two witnesses, Adeline and Amelia Masella. Adeline went to school with both Elisa and Eliana. And Amelia is the mother. They both reported to seeing Alyssa and Eliana around 12.45 p.m. in Via Mazzini. So not at the Holy Trinity Church. Both accurately described Elisa and Eliana's clothing that they were wearing that day. And they add that Eliana was on a moped. Eliana adamantly denies this. She's like, no, my moped was at home. I was on foot all day. I did not take my moped. And she's like, adamant. She mm-hmm. has never changed her story. The last time I saw Alyssa, or Elisa, excuse me, was 11.30 when she was going to meet Danilo. Mm-hmm. She never, ever changes that part of her story of the last time that she saw Elisa. What she was sketchy on was the intention. What she kept changing for the police was what she did afterwards because she gotcha. went and met her boyfriend. Oh, okay. And what, you know, what their intentions of the day really were. That's what she was, like, sketchy on at first. So the police have this information, what they think is credible information that these two women accurately described Elisa and Eliana's clothing on a moped at 12.45 p.m., which means Eliana would have been the last person to see Elisa alive, Mm -hmm. not Danilo, because everyone says, you know, Danilo admitted and Eliana admitted 1130 is when Elisa met Danilo at the Holy Trinity Church. Mm -hmm. So in the fact that she could act that those these two witnesses could accurately describe what they were wearing. This made the police question Eliana. I would do. Then Eliana says on her way back. From the city center to Via Mazzini, she was looking for Elisa at this point, and she met another witness of the investigation, Massimo Carlusi. Eliana said to him, when I returned to Via Pretoria, passing through the church of San Michele, I met with Massimo Carlusi. At a distance, I asked him if he had seen Elisa. He told me he hadn't seen her. Now, Carlusi, on the other hand, will tell the police that he saw Elisa leaving the Trinity Church. So now they're like, no, wait a minute. Carlucci supposedly told Eliana, nope, haven't seen her. But then he's going to the police and saying, yeah, I saw Elisa leaving the Trinity Church. Yeah. This... So they're like, yeah, we're going to believe Carlucci. We're not going to believe Eliana. Wow. Yep. There's so many people coming forward with so much information. Right. It makes it hard to sift through. With these sightings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Eliana was like, listen, then I headed back to the telephone booths where I stayed until 2 p.m. Looking carefully along the road, like where she would know that Elisa would have to pass leaving the Holy Trinity Church to get home. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's like, I stayed there making sure that I did not see her pass. She's waiting for her. I mean, they were supposed to go have lunch at her family's house, Mm -hmm. for crying out loud. And finally, at 2 is when she telephoned the 
collapse home to say, did she come home and I don't know about it because I'm just still sitting in the city center waiting for her, essentially. So if her statement is accurate, then Elisa never passed that down that road. Right. She never left. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So to make matters worse for Eliana, it was discovered that the anonymous tip that the police got about about Danilo cutting women's hair came from Eliana's boyfriend's mother. So when they trace down that anonymous tip that, hey, he's a creeper that likes to cut off hair, Mm -hmm. which is a true tip, that was him. Mm -hmm. He did do that. He did love him some hair. He did. It came from from Eliana's boyfriend's mother. So they're like, this woman is trying to deflect attention off from Eliana and put it onto Danilo. So it just looks bad. I'm not going to lie. This family is starting to look a little sketchy. Well, then it gets worse because remember how I told you that the police also got a tip from someone who said they saw Eliana or they, excuse me, they saw Elisa put into a white Fiat. Yes. And sold into prostitution. Right? Yes. They were able to trace that back to Eliana. Wow. So all signs are pointing to Eliana. Eliana was the one that made that phone call. I'm going to get to it. So right now, it's Eliana and Danilo, and they still have the other dude arrested, Greg Gaga, mm-hmm. arrested for providing false information, so, right? So nobody is looking at our other guy anymore. Danilo? Danilo. He's still on the radar. Okay, but not still as on the radar. much mm-hmm. at this but point. But the, the Claps family right now, they 100% firmly believe that Distillo, 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 that was a combination of both of his <laughs> I names. like it. <laughs> so that's just better. Just go with it. That Danilo Restivo had something to do with the disappearance of their daughter and that she is likely not alive. They're frustrated with the police because they are still even considering that she might be a runaway. Okay. They're, and the family is like absolutely wait, right, freaking right. not. And the Claps family do not think that Eliana had anything to do oh, okay. with the disappearance. Like they understand that there's some things going on, but hold on. They started to believe that there were higher powers at play protecting Danilo, considering the Restivo's wealth and mm-hmm. reputation, and mm-hmm. they weren't wrong. Now, the church, at the church of the Holy Trinity, Father Don Mimi. Oh, that's damn Mimi. Uh-huh. Mimi was also siding with the Restivos and complicated the investigation at every turn. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that I bet the Restivos donated very nicely to, to the, the Holy Trinity, Trinity oh, Church. I'm sure. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. He denied the collapse, the Mimi, Don Mimi, denied the collapse request to search the upper levels of the church that he had locked that day. Did he now? Yep. And he also denied the collapse request to leave a box where people could anonymously leave information if they knew anything about Elisa's disappearance, even though all the other churches allowed it. Huh. Also notable was that he was the only church to not ring bells on the anniversary each year of her disappearance in the area, which we find out. Mm -hmm. Mimi is throwing out all kinds of shade here. Then he also denied ever knowing Danilo Restivo personally. But a photograph found by police in the Restivo home showed that later in the investigation showed that Don Mimi was at at the Restivo home for Danilo's 18th birthday. Oh, wouldn't so, you know it? Okay. What commandment number is thou shall not lie? Because must be the good father was absent that day in catechism. He, yeah, he must have missed the memo Remember on that Remember those catechism one. classes? Yeah. Yeah. 
So like I said, he is not a true man no, of God. No, he is not. And there and here is where there's also other major mistakes happening with the police. The investigation was operating as if Elisa had left the Holy Trinity Church. So the church was never fully searched and they never got a warrant to do so to be able to go past Don Mimi's objections because unfortunately they have these other witnesses at witness accounts saying they saw Elisa after that meeting mm-hmm. with Danilo. You know, that is the problem. So many things going through my mind. Like, did were people in on this to throw the case off with all of Because there's Honestly, so many sightings. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the length of the Restivo money, you're not sure. And some more things are going to come out in a minute. But I do think that genuinely some of the we saw her here and there was literally just look-alike. And there is one. Mm-hmm. Let me get to it. but Which I think that... Something if you're not like 100%, this. please don't make a report to the right. police. But a case like this, if it's a smaller area, I mean, it would naturally spark people to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I and think it, I saw her, I should call. Or, and this was huge in this community. This wrecked the community. They, mm. they have a parade for her. Oh, oh, wow. I mean, it is huge for them. So, yeah. September 10th, 1994, they questioned Danilo again about the mysterious cut and how he had come about it because it just didn't match up. He maintained his inner innocence, but he was arrested anyway because his story changed again. Oh, so he, he deflected from the head dive? Mm-hmm. He... Was he, he deflected again about, he still maintained that he fell face first, but now he changed his story as to why he was even there. Mm. It just didn't make sense. He was placed in the same cell as Aries Gagar, purposely because they had the cell bugged. So now all of a sudden, while this is happening, Gagar's lawyer goes to the media with a claim that Elisa had once, been, once again been spotted in Albania, which the claim was once again debunked. It was a lookalike girl found mm-hmm. instead and each time that there's sightings you guys they're like taking news crews oh i mean they're like going they're ta- straight to the mm-hmm. site and crime what is the equivalent of the italian of our like crime watcher mm-hmm. the equivalent italian version of that is like following over it yeah oh, wow. and following all this stuff up and you know wanting to be the first to capture her on video mm-hmm. and all this stuff the the cell bugging did nothing they never discussed elisa or the case and january 1995 danilo faced the family in court for the first time over the false information charge he had been like i said in september 10th he was arrested for providing false information so the the false information that they know is how he obtained that cut on yes. his hand. All right. So so January 1995, he's in court for the first time, and the collapse family is facing him for the first time. Mm-hmm. His lawyer, right out of the gate, was like, remember, we are here for the false information provided during an investigation, not for my client's suspected involvement in the disappearance of Elisa, Elisa Claps. Oh. So right off the bat, they're like, you can't. You know, we're not here to find him guilty of her disappearance. We're only here to discuss that he lied during the investigation. Because they don't go hand in hand at all. Thank you. And how horrible that must have been for his family. Oh, for sure. Now, a doctor testified that the cut on his hand was caused by a sharp cutting object, not by falling. There's no way it could have happened on the back of his hand the way that it looked by falling headfirst down an escalator mm-hmm. and that he would have sustained other injuries. And he was the one that treated him that day in the ER and that he did not believe that that's how he obtained it. Pala was the woman who he claimed that he was on his way to see 
and the woman that he was supposedly interested mm-hmm. in that I wondered Elisa, if the name came out with this yes, with the girl that Elisa was going to give him you know the 411 on she testified she was like absolutely not I was we just did not go to a construction site I was wondering if she was going to be like um I don't know no. him I'm not associated with him right well she did admit that she was associated with him because she told she testified that he once told her that he had the ability to harm a woman when provoked oh okay so right off the bat he was just like yeah you're going to ob- obey me by cuz I could hurt you by harm mhm she also testified that he said that he knows all the local churches inside and out, which just seems like a real weird cash conversation to me. Uh-huh. Very. Yep. And it should be noted that at the same time that he was dealing with this charge, these charges, he was also facing charges for the harassing calls that he placed to those three girls I mentioned that lived right across from him. The Yeah, the ones where he was, like, describing what they were wearing yep. and... He, for all of that harassment and, you know, sending the pornographic photos or um, drawings, drawings and all that stuff, he got a $450 fine. Yep. Stop it. That daddy had to pay. What? Yep. That's it? That's it. March 1995, he was found guilty for providing false information and got 20 months in prison for for that, for doing that. And afterwards, the family was interviewed and Gildo actually said, how is it that we can find him guilty of providing false information, but not force him to provide the accurate information? Yeah. Nobody has forced him to say how he actually got that cut on his hand. We only know how he didn't get it, mm-hmm. and that's how he's saying he did get it. Does that make sense? It, yes, and how can that not be tied to the the bigger picture? Like, how could they separate those two? I right. Don't, I don't care what the attorney said, like... It is very much tied to, you know, you're lying. You were associated with Elisa that day. Yeah. You are lying. Like, how could they not connect the two? We know that you are lying, but we're not going to force you to tell us exactly how you got that cut. Yep. So you you might be wondering what happened um, with with little Aries Gagar. Yeah. He was found not guilty for his perjury charges. But he spent some time in jail, right? Just he did, waiting. There. Yeah, because he couldn't bail himself out. Ugh. Yep. So he was he was found not guilty. Kind of feel bad for this kid. Now, Eliana. Let's, I haven't brought this up yet. She was also arrested. Okay. For providing false information once they determined that that phone call was tied back to her. Where mm-hmm. she said, I, I've, you know, helped. Help her help me. Yeah. That phone yeah. call. Now, she was also found not guilty. The judge concluded that Eliana had not made the false call to dete- deflect a- attention from herself, but out of fear for her own safety. Because during the trial, she had confided in two friends that testified for her that she had said she was scared that the same fate that happened to Elisa could happen to her. Oh, wow. In other words, I was scared that if Danilo thought that I was pushing the investigation to him, he would, that come, after. He would come after me. Mm-hmm. And the judge picked up on that. However, the prosecution appealed against the acquittal of, of Eliana. In a second trial, she was found guilty on a charge of perjury and sentenced to 14 months in pri- imprisonment. But... That was also appealed, and the Italian Supreme Court 
later overturned the conviction. Yes. So here we have investigators going after all of these people that are providing false information, but at the same time, we're really not looking into the one person who was found guilty. Uh-huh. Of providing the false information. We're just letting it go. And so, and maybe, again, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but were were there any leads on finding Elisa ever through this? It sounds like she's still missing. She is still missing uh, at this time. She was still missing. And the problem is, is there was too many leads. Yeah. There was too much interference. There was too much noise too much happening that they couldn't sort it all That's out. That's why I'm, in my mind I'm like, you know, whoever, because I don't know the, the ending yet, but whoever's involved with this, you know, did they yeah. know to throw people yes. off, to throw the police off? Mm-hmm. We're getting there. By the two-year anniversary, she had been spotted everywhere from Rome to Africa, and every rumor from the Sicilian mafia to her being involved with a priest had circulated. Oh, yeah. And what... I mean... What better way to throw a case off? Somebody called in and said they saw her in fucking oh, yeah. Africa. That would like, throw a case off faster than anything else. Yep. It would be just a wild goose chase. Danilo Restivo was released after serving only 10 months of his 20 month sentence, and no further legal action was taken at that time. Reports started coming back in of women having their hair cut by a man in Italy. Oh my gosh, he's cutting hair again? Uh-huh. And they were working with sketch artists. Images matched Restivo perfectly. I mean, he does have a distinct look to him. For sure. There's only one way to look like a blowfish and a worm at the same time, and this man nails it. I'm guessing they weren't drawing a 6'2", you know. (laughs) No. uh, Stone-like features. uh. (laughs) No. There was no Don Johnson going on here. So two women actually identified him in a lineup, but then they later recanted and was like, nope, I'm not willing to identify him. Oh, how suspicious. wonder why that was. Despite the family trying to keep Elisa's case in the spotlight, keeping her posters up, keeping people talking about it, at this point, her father had become very withdrawn. Like a hermit withdrawn, doesn't want to talk to people. Like Phil Spector withdrawn? Withdrawn, yes, but he did not have his faux castle. (laughs) Nope. That's really too bad. And despite that, the her mother and her brothers stayed vigilant. In 1998, the case was declared still open, but no longer under active investigation. That's a bummer. It is. It came to a total dead end. As the day of the internet, remember that? The when old, it starts good old emerging? Yep. yep. As it emerges, Geldo had set up a website gathering information and leads regarding his sister's disappearance. On April 23rd, 1999, an email reporting to be from Elisa was sent to the website. Oh, my god! It claimed she was alive and well and living in Brazil and that she didn't want to be contacted, that she left on her own free will, she was unhappy at home, and mm. just needed to start over. The email ended with, this is hello and goodbye forever. <laughs> forever it was it was that dramatic it, i bet it was that sounds just all kinds of false right i mean he really i'm, I'm expecting you to say they asked for like a million dollars at the end no nope, like nope this was just a hey, scam email popping in it's 1999 i've I'm been good. gone a long time um i'm good we're square here don't ever try to contact me again let's just end this yeah wrap even, it up in a neat and tidy bow even though i was close to you fam i yeah. i was good i i just, I'm just didn't gonna fuck you over with six again. years of worry <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. PSM in Brazil. But, it's awesome. Yeah, but know that I'm fine now yeah. and I don't want to ever speak to you again. Right. This is hello and goodbye <laughs> forever. Yes. The dramatic forever. You have to thrust your head up when you say yes. it. So they hired a PI because, of course, they're going to. Right. The family does That is what mm-hmm. you would do. And he immediately ascertained that the email had come from an internet cafe in the center of Potenza. When they got there, they were able to get the IDs from everyone who was using the computers. And wouldn't you know it, at the same time that the email was sent to them, Danilo Restivo was logged in on a freaking yeah, computer. Yeah, don't say. I'm sure that everyone is really surprised to hear that information. So, so shocked. They inform the police and demand that Restivo be questioned about it. But you know what they were told? Um, this case is no longer under active <gasps> investigation, Stop. so we can't do anything. Oh my gosh. And I just, And they said the it voice. like that. Yes. Just an obnoxious valley girl voice can you believe it i would go bananas this just screams family with money having some kind of hold on them so badly bananas (laughs) b-a-n-a-n-a-s absolutely bananas how can you they go well they go to the media and now his mom's doing a media thing and she says this quote danilo is a beast I could never forgive him. There is no saint who can forgive him. I will never leave Potenza. This is where Elisa grew up. This is where I will die. And when I die, I want to close my eyes and know that I did everything for Elisa. Good for End her. Quote. She's like, go into the, you know, people yeah. need to know. If police aren't going to do anything, yep. I will. And this is where I'm going to leave you with Elisa for a moment. Oh, I was going to say, no. <laughs> You and, can't and do this. this. Is where the podcast yeah. ends. <laughs> no, that's really what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> we would, we would let people know it's a part two parter before we just okay. jumped in. Yeah, but I, no, no, I no. emotionally, Mm-mm. I'm invested. I can't handle no, this. The show must go it on, must. and it shall right now. <laughs> but we're going to switch gears, okay? And we are going to go to the UK. All right. We're going to talk about a lovely Heather Barnett. She was born August 1954, and she grew up in Dorset County that's in Sturminster, Newton. Oh, that's catchy. It means nothing to us. I just wanted to say I appreciate that you did. Our our UK listeners are going to know exactly where I'm talking about. Say it again. We have no idea. But Sturminster Newton. I like it. I love a good Sturminster. It's catchy. And I may get an email that says you totally butchered that. But that is how it sounded in other reports that I listened to, too. For today, we will appreciate the way you said it. Sturminster. So Heather Barnett was a single mother of two to Caitlin Marsh, 11, and Terry Marsh, 14. She was raising in Bournemouth, which is in Dorset County as well. She had been married to David Marsh, and then they had a happy marriage for a while, and then they got divorced. Mm-hmm. She Nothing, like, remarkable to report on there. She was a kind person. She worked from her home as a seamstress. Okay. And from what everyone has written or said about her, she seemed to exist to ensure that her children had a good life. She talked all the time about her kids and their accomplishments. She's just one of those real proud moms. Her friends referred to her as Bunny. How pure is that? I want someone to call me that. Me too. That's so cute. Can we just nickname me Bunny? Uh, uh, Yes, we can. I want a cute nickname because my childhood nickname was Chuck. 
Oh. <laughs> wow, I did not see you going there. Not even kidding. Mine was Amborghini. Oh. Like a Lamborghini. Know, but that's cute. Yeah. It's certainly better than Chuck. <laughs> like, Chuck is horrible. Um, it but is. I'm not even going to lie. Shame on them. <laughs> this is where I get my biting personality. It was kill or be killed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. You know I'm going to call you Chuck. Oh, I know. I know. It's going to happen. And it's because of the Chucky doll and my older siblings thought I acted like Chucky. I didn't. I was a bunny. Oh, right. A better nickname would have been Bunny. (laughs) I'm sure of it. I'm sure I was no trouble at all. They're making it all up. I'm sure they are. So that's where it came from. But anyway, our lovely Heather, she had a feisty and joyful personality. A lot of people said they she just loved like she delightful. could joke around. Yeah. And, she sounds yes. like a great, great gal. Well, one of her jobs was as, she worked as a vet assistant and then she was an au pair before she became a seamstress. So, I mean, just all the pureness, skills. you know. Yeah. They lived in a quiet neighborhood. She worked from home, like I said, so that was really helpful for her, mm-hmm. um, for the kids. She was always there. When the kids got home, mm-hmm. she was there waiting with a hug and a kiss Aww, every day. Her kids were like her whole life, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yep. November 12th, 2002. She got up early, and she tended to the family's cat because he was sick. Oh. Yeah, and then before making breakfast for her kids, usually the kids walked to school, but it was a rainy day, and being the super mom that she is, she drove them instead of, of making them walk in the rain. Um, I can't say as though I, with my four boys, I probably would have been like, it builds character. Get, a, get, get your an ass umbrella. out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for galoshes and umbrellas, guys. So, you'll live. <laughs> right. So she takes them to school, and she got home around 8.30 a.m. At 3.30 p.m. that day, Caitlin and Terry arrive home and find that the front door was unlocked, which was completely out of the ordinary because Heather was very safety cautious and always kept it locked. Uh That's why she was always waiting by the door for them, so she could unlock it to let them in. Oh, okay. So right away the kids are like, um, this is weird. They threw their backpacks backpacks down and started calling out her name. They knew she was home because her car's in the driveway. Mm -hmm. And the radio was playing. They immediately noticed that her sewing machine had been knocked on its side. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, well, what's going on? And they start wandering the house. Caitlin timidly knocks on the bathroom door, calling out her mother's name. When there was no response, she slowly pushed the door open. And this is where I'm going to do trigger warning because there's some... some My heart's already sad. I know. All right. Caitlin found her mother lying on the bathroom floor in a pool of blood. And I'm going to spare you the heartbreaking details of her reaction. Mm. But her reaction did get Terry's attention. And as he peeked in and saw the blood, he immediately called the police. He said to the 911 operator, my mom has been murdered. This is not a joke. And then they ran out of the house screaming and waving their arms, asking anyone for help. These poor kids. Yes. Across the street was a couple who hadn't lived in the neighborhood for very long, and they were just returning home. So they get out of their car to try to help the kids. Uh And at first they didn't quite understand because the kids were so hysterical and had so much panic that they they couldn't, you know, hear them, really. I mean, their words are just blurring together, and they're screaming and crying. And um, so they take the kids into their house. To get them calmed down, you reassure them that they're safe. They're calling 911. Mm-hmm. Like, they figure out something terrible has happened. They call 911, so they've got, they've the, got the kids. In. Yep, they got yeah. the kids inside. That couple was a large, older Italian woman named Fiamma 
Marsango, and her new man, Danilo Restivo. <gasps> yes. My heart just fell into my rectal area. <laughs> <laughs> your heart dropped out of your butt. Yeah. They are comforting these children inside their home. So the police start their investigation. No. Oh my gosh, stop it. There was no sign of forced entry. Nothing was missing. This wasn't Fia a mama, robbery. Why? Fia mama? I don't know. It wasn't Fiamma? for the looks. It wasn't for the looks. Fiamma, I told you, she's an old, larger Italian woman. There were reports of her having terrible arthritis. Mm. and she's, even, lo- she's lonely. Well, they met on the internet. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so, it's 2002. The internet is it's all the rage. bursting yeah. wild. Chat rooms. Flowing. People, people are yes. catfishing all over the place. Oh, for sure. We know about that. <laughs> for sure. There isn't so, a TV show for, for nothing. For sure. So you know that poor Fia Mama <sighs> just didn't know what she was getting herself yeah. into with Blowfish Danilio. Oh, man. Now, the autopsy discovered that poor Heather had suffered 10 blows to the head with a hammer. She had her throat slit from ear to ear. Oh, my gosh. Her pants were opened and pulled slightly down, but there was no indication of sexual assault. There was no semen found. Mm. Her bra had been cut in the front, and this is a trigger alert to a gruesome detail. Her breasts had been removed with what was thought to be a 14-centimeter knife, and they were placed next to her. Oh, my gosh. There were three-and-a-half-inch strands of someone else's hair placed in her right hand, and then strands of her own hair, which had also been cut from her head, placed in her left hand oh my gosh these poor kids i'm just like my soul is hurting for these kids and what they saw exactly and uh exactly oh yes you would just never like how would you you that's why i spared you the details of what the book goes into Mm. about um caitlin's reaction Mm. when she found her mom we just don't need to go there. Due to the lack of blood from the cuts, it's believed that those were actually done post-mortem. Okay. After she had been murdered. Okay. The time of death was determined to be shortly after she had dropped her children off to school around 9.30 a.m. Telephone records confirmed confirmed this because before 9.30, she had answered her phone, and then the next call at 10.15, and from there on, she had not answered. And she was a busy seamstress, so she was getting phone calls mm-hmm. all throughout the day. Mm-hmm. The crime scene showed that there had been a struggle, and she was originally attacked in her sewing room. The blood splatter told them that she had been taken to the ground, which likely the first blow she had suffered took her to the ground, and then another blow to the head when she was on the floor, and then she was dragged to the bathroom where she was then murdered. Using luminol to identify traces of blood, forensic investigators were able to ascertain that the murderer then walked back towards the sewing room, so from the bathroom to the sewing room. The bloodied footprints became fainter with each step, but that's where the footprints stopped. In the hall, back towards the front door, there was nothing. So they know that the assailant had changed their blood-soaked shoes because the footprints just suddenly Mm -hmm. stop and there's no other traces throughout the rest of the house. Mm -hmm. So this person changed their shoes. There were no fingerprints, but there were black fibers all over Heather's body believed to be from gloves. They were able to ascertain from the the bloody shoe prints that were there that it was a Nike tear-apart training shoe, which must have been like a certain like kind they had out then. Mm Somewhere between the size of nine and a half to ten and a half. There was a green hand towel that did not belong to Heather, but had her blood on it. 
They gathered that this was a carefully planned and meticulous murder as they had brought a cha- the person had brought a change of clothes and they believed that the green hand towel, towel was brought to wipe off any blood before changing their clothes so mm-hmm. that they wouldn't get their new clothes mm-hmm. bloody and then just so they could leave the scene without blood on them. But likely it wasn't left there on purpose. Like they, they believe that oh, you know, this forgotten. person like brought a backpack. Had a change of clothes, had this towel, and, you know, meant to take it with them. What they do is because of the nature of of the murder, her breasts being removed. There wasn't a sign of semen, but it was clear that she had, it was sexual in intention. Yeah, it has a sexual uh, tone to it. It does, yep. And so what the police start with is they go to the National Criminal Database that was used to locate sexual criminals mm-hmm. within a, a um, five-mile radius of Heather's home. But all of them had solid alibis. None of them matched up. So they go door to door. To door. They're figuring this is someone she let in. This is someone she knew. There was no forced entry. Mm-hmm. So they're going door to door just to see if anybody had seen or heard anything unusual. And no one had, which made them further believe this was someone that she knew. Yeah. Because there's no screaming. There's no, um, nothing seems suspicious. No one saw anyone suspicious. This leads them in the investigation to believe that it was not only someone that she knew, but possibly someone within the neighborhood because no one's remarking of a strange person right. walking around like the neighborhood. Like we saw this person that didn't live here walking right. around. Right. Nothing like that. And so. of course... I probably don't have to tell you this, but the ex-husband was put on the chopping block first. I mean, they're okay, going yeah. after him first, yeah. right? But right away, there's no link. He had an alibi. There was nothing that could come of that. The DNA came back on the hair that was in her hands, and it was discovered that the hair had not been ripped out, which is what they had originally thought. They had actually hoped that some of this hair might have been from the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. They realized it was neatly cut. And it belonged to another woman. It hadn't been ripped out at all. Using stable isotope analysis, they were able to further conclude from these hair samples, and this is amazing to me, that the person who the hair belonged to lived in the United Kingdom, had traveled to Spain, and even Florida less than three months before their hair had been cut, and they had changed their diet twice in that time frame. that's amazing. They were able to come up with all of that, and so they're like, this is very specific. We can put it out there to people who had their hair randomly chopped off Mm -hmm. by some dude or whatever Mm -hmm. who had their hair cut that has been, that lives in the United Kingdom, has traveled to Spain, and been to Florida within the last three months, and you've changed your diet. But no one came forward. Mm, darn it. They later believe that the reason this person never came forward is because they were connected to the perpetrator and they were fearful of their own life. Okay. That's what I, is later suspected, okay. which makes sense to me. As they're interviewing the kids, Terry, her son, had said that Heather's keys had gone missing the week before the attack after an Italian, Danny, had come around to ask his mother to make some curtains. Heather had the locks replaced when she noticed that her spare key was missing. She's like, yeah, I'm not taking no chances. Good for her. Yep. Danilo Restivo had moved in across the street from Heather Barnett in May 2002 to live with his new girlfriend, as I said, that he had met on the internet. So not only did she have arthritis, but apparently she had poor taste in men as well. Oh, yeah, I guess so. And I just found it interesting that Heather lives right across from him. Right. Just like those three girls he had harassed back in Potenza. Mm -hmm. Police had already questioned Danilo and 
Mamma Mia. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Philomia, whatever her name was. <laughs> big, oh, big Mamma Mia. Yes. Yep. Uh, his girlfriend, literally the first people. That was the first people that they, they were questioned the kids. because they had the kids. They mm-hmm. were consoling the children. Again, a murderer putting himself at the crime Always. scene. Always. I'm assuming it's him. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. We've been in this studio before. <laughs> Not so. our first rodeo. <laughs> Five days after the murder, the police were conducting house-to-house inquiries when they collected, where they collected saliva, fingerprints, and hair samples from all the neighbors in an effort to rule out people mm-hmm. of close contact. Restivo, when they, Restivo and his wife were like, yeah, here you go. Here's my saliva. Here's my hair. Go ahead. They asked Restivo to show them the shoes that he was wearing on November 12th. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I, he was hesitant. He didn't want to. But he leads them to a bucket filled with bleach with his Nike trainers in them. Wait, what? Yeah. Of all the things that you would lead the police to in this situation. Yep, there's his Nike trainers. Matching the size, by the way. Just just soaking, having themselves a little bath in bleach. One would think maybe get rid of that bucket of bleach. You'd think, but no. So they're, they're soaking... Obviously, the trainers were confiscated. Huh. The police I'm, bagged I'm them glad. up. Bag it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bag those trainers yeah. out, guys. And he, he claimed, as they're doing their interview, because they're like, this is suspicious. Mm-hmm. Nike trainers. Like, no doubt. <laughs> he claimed on the day of the murder, he left his house at 8.15 a.m. to attend his computer training course that he was taking in an effort to try to get employment in his new town. Now, remember, he's in the U.K. now. Mm-hmm. He's from Italy to the U.K. He does not speak the negative, native language. He's not speaking English well at all. So he was explaining that he's taking these courses, a course to learn English for to learn English better, and a computer course in hopes that he can obtain employment. He said he returned at 3.30 p.m. when he found the kids. His alibi checked out. Hmm. Initially, he had a bus ticket stamped at 8.44 a.m. Heather's car had been captured on a CCTV footage returning at 8.37 a.m. So they're like, well, she returned at 8.37 and he had a bus stamp at 8.44. And records confirm that he had signed into his computer class at 9 a.m. So the focus goes back to her husband because they're like, this was a very carefully planned killing. This was a personal attack on her. Mm -hmm. Eventually, what happens is they interview 123 people that were known to Heather and no one could say one person that would ever want to harm Heather. They had no leads. She had no enemies because she was a wonderful human Mm -hmm. being. And they could not find the murder weapon. Crime Stoppers even offered an award. Oh, wow. Like a $10,000 award for information that would lead to the arrest of someone for this murder. But the shoes and the bleach. I mean, come on, people. (laughs) I'm coming around to it. Okay. So they searched... Heather's computer, and they saw an email that she sent a friend just before her murder about how her house keys had went missing directly after she visited, was visited by her neighbor who came to inquire about her seamstress services. She suspected that he might have taken her keys on mistake by mistake and wrote them a note and left it in their mailbox asking to have Heather, the keys returned. Yes, so she's like, yeah, like unknowingly, it sounds like saving her. Yeah case like kind yeah of. like she's like you know hey this this was weird the problem is that the police saw him as so awkward and clumsy and I which mean, he and does look appear at him. like look at him i can see why they initially thought this 
So they're like, this dude did not commit this heinous. I get it. Heinous act. Yeah, because... after seeing his picture, you and would think, like. And then you listen to his little voice where he's like, hey, these, oh, these are my shoes and bleach. Yeah. I yeah. get it. Like, right. you would think, okay, and this not guy. initially, he's not your first suspect. He's right. weird as shit. For he sure. Didn't this murder. But weird and committing murder is a large leap. Yeah, anyway. I get it. Then they decide, after finding this email, they're like, we best run his name. Mm-hmm. Let's run it. Because remember, they had only looked for sexual predators. Right. Okay? Right. When they run his name, they find out that they had maybe missed some important information about weedy, weirdo weirdo here. Mm-hmm. They find out, holy shit, this is not the first time that he's been questioned in a high-profile case. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's actively involved in the Elisa missing person case so now they revisit his alibi and they realize that it wasn't as airtight as they originally thought upon closer inspection his sign-in time for the complete for the computer class was altered from 10 30 a.m to 9 a.m and although he had a bus ticket stamped at 8 44 there is no evidence to show that he actually took the bus to the computer class he could have disembarked from the bus stop at the next stop and walked the very short distance to Heather's house. Once again, he is a suspect, but everything is circumstantial, just like in the Elisa Claps case. Mm-hmm. One year and they released details of the Nike shoes and the dismemberment of her body just to see if there's some hits. Are people going to come forward mm-hmm. that they know about this? They even contacted Interpol to let them know of the concern that Danilo is on their radar and they request all the information about the Elisa Claps case. So now the two countries are working together. And this is when they learn of his haircutting fetish and the reports made against him from the three girls. The Dorset police decide to put Restivo under surveillance because, interestingly enough, now all of a sudden Dorset County is getting a whole bunch of reports about women's hair being cut against their will oh, on wow. public transportation and at movie theaters. So this wormhole is just <laughs> going around the UK his, yeah. now, giving women free unwanted haircuts. Mm-hmm. And touching his wee-wee. Yes. He's so gross. So they put him under surveillance, and he had a bad habit of going to secluded parks in Bournemouth that were known to be wilderness trails that a lot of women ran. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. He was filmed by the police watching single women. Sometimes he would even duck into long grass as they walked past, which, fucking creepy. Um, I would lose my shit right. if someone d- jumped into the bushes when I was well, walking. Like, I think that he would jump into the bushes knowing they're about to walk like they didn't see him oh, jumping gotcha. into the bushes. Gotcha. Okay. And even though it was spring, he was seen wearing gloves. He would take off one shirt only to put an identical one stashed in the trunk of his car on. He changed his shoes several times. They've seen this. On one occasion, coincidentally, on the 12th of the month, which happens to be the same date that both Heather had been murdered and Elisa went missing, police were concerned because he changed into, at this point, he's doing his, like, changing clothes routine, Mm -hmm. but he changes into, like, waterproof waders, like pants. Oh. And so they are really concerned about the way he's acting. So they call in to their boss and they're like, hey, we we don't want to take a chance here. We think he really has someone marked and he's about to bounce. Yeah. And so they had uniformed officers pull up under the guise that there had been a lot of break-ins in the area. 
and that he looked a little suspicious. So they're like, do you mind if we look around in your car? And he's like, blah, 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 blah. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes, officers. Like, yeah. <laughs> Go right ahead. Yeah, that's, that's how that sounded. Uh, nothing to see here. <laughs> Right. Oh, my God. Thank God they intervened because yeah. he probably did really think, have someone. I, absolutely. I think he did. What Because what they found in his vehicle is what I would call a classic murder kit. They found a filleting knife, two pair of scissors, a balaclava, and gloves. Which, do you remember in another episode where we, um, it's the girl in the box episode where I was talking about something being over women's faces because yes, yes. they can't be seen praying? That was, the, was word the word I was looking for. Balaclava. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So it's basically like this mask over your face and only oh, your eyes are shown. Like, could he have been any more suspicious? Right. Yeah. Although there was nothing illegal in the possessions, common sense is going to tell you that he was a man on the brink of committing a horrific crime. Yeah. Like, he claimed that the knife was found in the park and that he was going to discard it so that a kid didn't find it. Oh, his lies are just so epic. Right? Every time he comes this up with a story. fucking slimy bastard has, uh, has an explanation for everything. Oh, I'm sure. Remember, the police have been watching him, and he does not know that the police have been watching us, that him. So they know that he's lying. They know that he didn't pick it up in the park, <laughs> right. you dumbass. We've been trailing you for days. <laughs> They're like, we've seen you jumping into the bushes, They had him bro. under surveillance for 24 hours a day. This was intense. Like, they knew. So then he's placed under arrest. They question him for three days. But they end up having to let him go because he never changed his story, and they had no physical proof. Oh, gosh. It's all circumstantial. They were probably like, we can't take any more of your voice either. Right, right. We got, well, this is what the detective remarked on it. He said that he never showed any fear whatsoever the entire three days. Oh, wow. So this is just a man, he's unhinged. Like Mm -hmm. he is, and I don't mean to say unhinged and that he's acting insane. I'm saying that he literally had no fear of getting caught. Mm-hmm. whatsoever. Part he, of that, though, can be the fact that Daddy has bought his way out of everything. I was just going to say, he probably had some solid confidence after mm-hmm. his first incident I that he so. got away with. So he was probably like, yeah, come when, after me. My dad owns a library. Right. Or whatever. Like, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> you know, Something books. with the library. Yeah. When Elisa's brother learned that Danilo had been arrested for the murder of Heather Barnett, he traveled to meet the detectives and give them any details of his sister's case that might help, even though it had been 12 years at this point in time from her disappearance. Geldo plastered posters with Heather and Elisa side by side when he returned to Potenza. Good for him. His mother went to the press and they did interviews again, saying that the person who took my daughter from me also took Heather from her children. And his mom gave uh, was quoted giving a very intense interview where she empathized with Heather's children so strongly. She said she felt connected to them because they had both lost someone, but her focus was on how horrific it had to have been for her children to have seen her. Oh, God, I cannot imagine. I can't. They're taking to the streets with this information about he was arrested for the murder of Heather Barnett, and he was found guilty of providing false information Mm -hmm. on Elisa's case. This was a serious stab at the police to demonstrate that if more had been done, Heather would still be alive. And it's so true. So true. So in 2006, a plaque was erected on the road that Elisa would have taken the day that she disappeared. Once again, like these, this is a town that is not likely to forget what mm-hmm. the hell happened. The police can see that there's connection between the cases. 
But frustratingly enough, they have to sit and wait because the Dorset police where Heather was and the Potenza police where Elise was are working together, but they don't have Elise's body. Right. She I was mean, never found. Right. All right. And I think that I already mentioned that the complaints in Dorset County of women getting their hair cut began in 2002, right after Danilo moved there. That did not go unnoticed to the mm-hmm. police. Just like in Potenza, there were women in Dorset who were able to identify Danilo as the person. They even went as far as reporting about how him fully masturbating under his coat while he was doing so. One woman identified Danilo because she literally watched him do the whole thing, cut the hair, everything. Oh, wow. She saw the whole... Yes. Process. Yep, which I just cannot imagine sitting there and watching, like, what do you do? Like, he's touching himself. Yeah, it would be so, Mm -hmm. you would just probably be frozen in shock because it's like, am I really witnessing this creepy little man? Right, choking the snake. Yeah, with With the hair. With a pair of scissors in the other hand. You want to talk about some ambidextrous type control. How do you? I'm just sitting here trying to make these motions and like picture it. You got a stroke with one hand and cut and with the scissors cut, with yes. the other. It, there's some skill involved. There is a skill that I don't have okay, and I could not pull this off. And probably with the voice too. Like I, right. you know, I don't yeah. even know. What I, I that really would be I like. want y'all to try it. The stroking and the cutting. It it's, does not work. No. It's like patting your belly and rubbing your head at the yes. same time. I've never mm-hmm. been a, uh, Me successful at that Me either. Neither. Twenty-four women in total across both countries had reported the same exact detail about a masturbating man cutting women's hair get, oh. or getting their hair cut by a masturbating man. Wow. Talk about a wild day at the office. How was your day today, honey? Yeah. Well, let well. me tell you about my bus ride. And now I need to make a hair appointment. I wonder what he did with the hair afterwards. <laughs> I, well, I don't want, really want to know either, you but... Don't. You don't. So now, November 2006, a warrant was issued to search Restivo's home, and a lock of hair was found. The DNA did not match him, Heather, or Elisa. They actually believed that it was um, later possibly a relative that he had like an infatuation Ooh. with. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just saying if my man has hair laying around when I get home, it's going to entice we're gonna a, have a talk. It's going to be a long talk. Yeah. A long talk about unhealthy. I'm going to uh, have some hoarding. questions. Unhealthy for hoarding. Him. Yeah, some really unhealthy hoarding. And they found that the knife that was found in his murder kit Happened to be missing from his home's butcher block. What? You don't say. In 2006, also, some CCTV footage was released to the public on Crime Watch that was like a grainy footage of a man walking towards Heather's, like at the cross street of Heather's Street the Mm -hmm. day of her murder at 9.24 a.m. The public was urged to come forward with any information. A local pharmacy assistant came forward and said the man looked like one of her regular customers, Danilo Restivo. Now, the police want to take this account very seriously, Mm -hmm. incredibly. And and, and, and now, I don't want to say that they didn't, but they did have the caveat that they had to throw in there to play devil's advocate that... It was well known at this point in time that Danilo was a person of interest because he had been arrested once. I mean, remember, they held him for three days and yes. had to let him go. So the public knew. So, so they're like, they're like, uh, maybe he, she's assuming it was him. Right. The and other side of that, that is like the man had a distinct, thank you, soft, round look. Very soft, sad 
sad droopy? look about him. I want to say droopy. droopy. Sad and droopy if that is a body type. That's where we're at. <laughs> I mean, I'm not far Master off from that myself. Sad and droopy. Like, I, I think that's a good description for this situation. I'm just going to say that... For every person that they could, that Elisa looked alike because she was just this beautiful Italian girl, mm-hmm. there's not many that look like Danilo Restivo. No, and when when you post the picture, everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, oh yeah, right. got it. <laughs> oh yeah, sad and droopy. <laughs> yeah, for sure, it hits home. It holds up, yeah. people. Yeah. In 2007, a thread was created on a community website that was discussing Elisa Claff's disappearance. Over 350,000 people had engaged to share theories, rumors, and what have yous. Many posts they found were defending Danilo Restivo, and many accused the Claps family of running a smear, or as my notes say, schmear. They were they were they were running a good a cheese smear campaign. A smear campaign against the Restivo family. Now, remember I told you there was a private investigator that the Claps family had worked? Yes. He was so worked up about this case he actually did it pro bono oh, for wow. the family. Amazing. Well, he went ahead and hacked into the site and discovered that Restivo himself had created the website and that he was responsible for many of the accounts that were used. Restivo was defending Restivo. He was. So sad and frumpy is just sitting all day. Like, what are you doing all day, sir? Yeah. It's just like in his house. I don't speak English, so I'm not I'm gonna use my computer to just create all of this chaos and try to deflect attention from myself and in is, fact you're making it worse is fia mama meanwhile like providing there's income? not a lot of information oh. about fia mamia mama <laughs> she's I, I i'm envisioning her at work like making the poor the girl money. all i can find about her is that she was large a large italian woman with arthritis that she suffered from arthritis like you poor thing what a way to be remembered and like i said that and, we know she had bad taste in men and she met that on you the internet. slept with oh yeah i can't even <laughs> go there sad. for her that sad and droopy was what you were drawn to? No. Makes me feel better about some of my life choices, but... Yeah, uh, it could always be worse. You could be Fiamma Mama. Mm-hmm. I really, I think her name is Fiamma. Fiamma, okay. Yeah. yeah. It is a pretty name. It is, But it when is. you see it written, there's so many M's and A's all like in one F that I'm like, Fiamma Mama! <laughs> anyway... So in 2008, new advances in DNA testing allow for that green towel to be retested. They already determined that the blood on it belonged to Heather, but they wanted to know if there was other unseen Mm -hmm. DNA. Some snippets. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. The DNA profile, wait for it, determined to match Danilo Recivo. Shocking gasp. We need sound effects. And I just want a gasp. That would have been a good, (gasps) yes. So they determined it was either sweater or skin cells. But considering the amount of it, they are much more likely to to say that it was liquid in form, that it was sweat instead of just skin cells. So that's a gross detail I couldn't unlearn. So now you guys know it too. Gross. They also, remember this is 2008, so it's not as advanced as it is in, as it is today, but it was determined that it is a one in 57,000 chance that it wasn't him. So meaning like, those are really small odds. You've got yeah. a 1 in 57,000 chance that this isn't you. Right. Like, this is you, sir. Yes. That is Good your day, sweat. Sir. Mm-hmm. Your gross body perspiration. 
I just picture him like dabbing himself with the green. Oh, me too. Just yeah. all over his slimy blowfish face. Yeah. So those Nike shoes were also subject to new testing in 2009. And it was discovered that the inside sole of his shoe had reacted positive for blood. So he had blood on his socks when he placed his feet into those trainers. This confirmed investigators' original theory that the killer had changed his shoes at the scene mm-hmm. of the crime. Mm-hmm. But the bleach exposure made it impossible to be able to extract DNA from the blood to determine if it was Heather's blood. Darn it. Fucking bleach. His explanation of why he was bleaching his shoes is that his English was poor and because he was so new to the country and he thought the bleach was soap. So I guess he can't smell in English either. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, I don't smell in English. Right. Oh, my Lord. His lies. I can't mm-hmm. with his lies. So it must be Italian soap smells like English bleach. Yeah. I'm not sure. Such a common mistake. Later in the in the trial, I'll just tell you, he testifies that he's got a poor sniffer. Oh. He suffers from lack of sniffability. <laughs> this poor guy. So he didn't smell the bleach. But Fia Mamama over there wasn't like, dang, that's bleach, not soap, sir. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, honey. This isn't soap. It's... Uh, no, no, no. Anyway. Oh, this man. So they've got all this. Okay, mm-hmm. guys. But they know that they need a more solid case. They don't want to take the chance of arresting him on this and then having a jury find him not guilty. I get it. But then I'm like, but you have so much. Right. So just just keep in mind, like these years, these years have went by. Mm-hmm. All right. And they are collecting this stuff. And whenever they question him about it, it doesn't add up. So there's just building a case. Let's go to March 17th. 2010. We are back in Potenza. We are at the Holy Trinity Church, where maintenance workers were repairing the roof of the Holy Trinity Church, which had been leaking throughout the winter season. When two men enter a wooden door by the altar, the door, the door, the door. is unlocked. They went upstairs, which led them to the attic, like I had said earlier, that overlooks the city. Mm-hmm. They were lighting their way with a torch, which just scares me. I like oh, picture it like a castle on Beauty and the Beast, and they're like torching. The, like, yes. yes. <laughs> I, could, sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. I could never be trusted with a torch. No. I would Everything around me would be on fire, fire. Yep, including sure. myself. For sure. So they're lighting their way with a torch, and one worker notices something in the corner under a pile of what seemed like rubble. As he illuminated the corner, he realized with horror that he was looking at a mummified body. (gasps) The clothing, jewelry, and round rim glasses were all preserved and were then identified by the Claps family as what Elisa Claps was wearing on the day of her disappearance. I can't. I can't. So many things going through my head right now. Why was that door not open ever? Like, why? Oh, yeah. They obviously found her very easily as soon as they went up there. Yes. With the torch. Interesting that you say that. Yes, Amber. They found her immediately. Yeah. Like, it sounds like they walked right up and they're like, oh, look at something shady over there. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Her body, of course, was badly decomposed, but DNA did confirm that it was Elisa I'm Claps. so glad they found her, though. Yes. I really am. I know. It wasn't just Elisa's family that was outraged. Italy in general and the city of Potenza in particular. They were... lost their shit. Oh, they did. They should have. Whether it was because of incompetence or corruption, the church had never been searched 
thoroughly. The family lived in tragic and uncertainty for 17 years. years. I can't. Oh my god. A city had searched on side streets and searched its soul in vain. Mimi, Pee-Pee, oh, whatever his name. I'm going to bring you back to Don Pee-Pee Mimi. Pee-Pee, yeah. So was, like was he held accountable ever for anything? Don Pee-Pee Mimi was held accountable by Jesus himself in 2008 when he, went he died. He to be with the Lord. Yeah, he went to be with someone. I'm not in yeah. 2008. We're gonna hear more about him. So just you hold okay, on right. to your not... pants over there, okay. sister. I can see you about jumping out of that chair. I am. I, I my, the blood pressure is high today. No, let me get to it. The forensic examinations on Alyssa's remains were painstaking. Her clothing and skeleton re- revealed many insights into the nature of her death. Cuts to her bones suggested that she had received at least nine stab wounds from behind, largely to her ribs, Mm. and three from the front. One going through the front of her neck to her spinal cord, and it might have been made with a pair of scissors. Her hands had to be rehydrated, which I actually found interesting that because when when you have mummified remains, Mm -hmm. like one report actually had said that her pelvic bone had shrunken down so much over the years that... It left like a, the, really the only thing that was left was like this black mark on the wall that she had been pushed up against. So it was just interesting to me. I'm like, how do they know all this right. then if she was so badly decomposed and, and essentially dust, like it seems like. Well, her hands, they had rehydrated and it revealed cuts. Okay. And it demonstrated classic defense wounds. Her trousers, top, bra, and knickers had been cut with scissors and her trousers had been unzipped and lowered. Mm. Does that sound familiar? It does. Her bra had been cut from the front, just like Heather Barnett's. Mm-hmm. Her trousers were lowered, just like Heather Barnett's. There were no signs of semen. So there's no sign of sexual abuse mm-hmm. that way. But there were bruises, just like on Heather, that indicated that... It, there was a sexual element. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's bruising on her inner thighs and hemorrhaging and, and whatnot. Well, that's the same thing, but sorry. So she was physically molested. Yeah. But not there was no the like penetration, penetration and semen. Mm-hmm. The semen. Mm-hmm. Here's the real kicker. In her hands were two separate locks of neatly cut hair and more was laying alongside her body. Oh, my god! Does that sound familiar? It does, unfortunately. It's believed that she was killed in the attic and then drugged to the corner and covered with the tile rubble. Traces of another person's DNA in the attic was also found. And a very quick and outdated technique was used by one of the forensic doctors, Professor Pascali, who had strong ties to the Holy Trinity Church. So he quickly determines that the DNA does not match Danilo Restivo. Mm. The magistrate in charge of the investigation had the DNA checked for a second opinion. Oh, good. Under an actual, like, forensic institution and using the most modern technique it was determined that the dna did match danilo restivo well what do you know well you need i'm sure you would love to know that professor pascali was found guilty of forgery of evidence and given 18 months in jail i am glad to know that Mm -hmm. this kind of threw initially a little bump in the plans and it it wasn't mentioned in all the sources but kids liked to sneak up there and fornicate Mm. and so there was other dna up there but so it was like extra it's a DNA. well-known thing that that's where 
kids went to go do their sinful acts. I see. And so they had no idea that they were doing that right next to her in the oh, corner God. under the, which are now they're probably super horrified. Oh, I would need like a cleansing mm-hmm. if I to found know. that out. The whole community mourned Elisa all over again, and they were horrified to know that she had been in the church the whole time. That is just unbelievable. People started to be outraged over the former priest, Father Don Mimi, who, like I said, passed away for covering up a murder. Yeah. And he took any secrets that he had to his grave. There's another little strange detail I want to mention. There was a red button found underneath Elisa, and it measured 13 millimeters. That's the exact same dimension and color of the buttons on the clergy robes. It wasn't long before a photograph emerged of Don Mimi with a button missing from his clergy robe. Then I found another source that was like, well, but it was determined to not be the button from his robe, but... Oh, and also there's a possibility that, you know, they share robes and whatnot. So Mm. he could have just picked up the robe with a button missing. But I don't know if it walks like a cat and talks like a cat. It's probably a cat. And it just just like what? And I actually meant to say meows like a cat because cats don't typically talk. But (laughs) anyway, you get what I'm saying. That to me with the fact that he locked that door. And he wouldn't let anybody go out there. He wouldn't let the family put a box in um, for inquiry. He wouldn't ring the church bells on the anniversary like everyone else. Um, he knew something. Oh, for you can't sure. tell me that he may not have had a part in this as well. The fact that he tried to cover up even knowing Danilo, and then later it was found that, wait a second, he was at your 18th birthday party. Right, right. No, he was he was being paid All off by sorts of family, and he was a part of this. Uh-huh, yeah, for sure. Without question. But they never... Well, he had passed he away. Died. So Yeah. He, unfortunately, they found her body in 2010. He passed away in 2008. But all of that information was not lost on Potenza, and they know. May 19th, 2010, 12 detectives surrounded Danilo Restivo's home and placed him under arrest for Heather Barnett's murder. I'm over here clapping and celebrating. Yes. We need those sound effects. We do. The discovery of Alyssa Clapp's body and the remarkable resemblance between the circumstances of both of the women's death is exactly what they needed to make their case. He was handcuffed and led outside. He accused the police of, of harassment this whole time and was claiming that he was innocent. He covered his head in a towel, which I feel like he shouldn't have even been allowed to do, no. as he was led out of his home and into the waiting police car. And speaking of towels... He had previously in the investigation denied owning the green towel to the police. Mm -hmm. But now that they have him in custody, they let him know that his DNA was confirmed on it. And he's like, oh, 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 yes. Oh, that green towel? Yeah, that green towel? Um, Yeah, that is mine. I left it there as a color match for the curtains I wanted her to make my girlfriend. I'm telling you, he is a worm secretion and he has an answer for fucking everything. Uh, he does. He And they're ridiculous answers. They are, but here we are. He was refused bail and he was held until his prelim trial. When learning of his arrest, Elisa's reclusive father spoke to the media for the first time. Mm. And honestly, it was a justified verbal lashing that he gave, stating that he does not believe in justice anymore and that the police are nothing but a bunch of blustering baboons. And he said, what does it matter to me? She's not here. 
I and I won't go to her funeral. I will mourn her here in my oh, home. That's a raw. Oh, that's a God. real statement. Mm-hmm. And and wh- how could and he how not, could he feel, not that feel that way? Any other way after mm-hmm. the way his family was treated? He's just like so defeated still mm-hmm. after all the things that happened. One week after his arrest for the murder of Heather Barnett uh, in the UK. A warrant was issued for Danilo's arrest for the murder of Elisa Claps in Italy. They wanted to extradite him to Italy to try him for the Claps case, but it was denied because they wanted to finish their case for Heather first. They're like, eh, we got to him Let first. us get ours yeah. first. Yep. So basically, they both wanted his slimy, hair fetish, nasty ass. I feel like the world should should have celebrated. I hope they mm-hmm. did. Oh, yeah, there was. There was big celebrations. Before we get to that, on November 8th, 2010, he pled not guilty to the murder of Heather Barnett. Of course he did. Just in total denial. Daddy's going to save me. Yeah. Blah, blah. <laughs> there was probably makes. a lot of that. Yeah. The Claps family went to the trial because they wanted him behind bars in life in the UK. They feared if he was tried in Italy, he would find a way around with daddy's money. With, his, with Papa's money. Yep. And able to get out early or get off or something like that. So on May 4th, 2011 was when the trial started. Remember, he killed her in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. It was televised everywhere. Elisa's mother was present in the courtroom the whole time. And this is an unusual piece, but the judge allowed it. The information on the Elisa Claps murder was allowed to be taken into evidence, even though he had not officially been found guilty for that murder, because of the striking similarities in both of the victims' circumstances of their death. Good. I'm glad. Because just like it is here, you're innocent until proven Mm -hmm. guilty, but... In that circumstance, he's like, I can't deny the fact that these are identical oh, yeah. to one another. The hair, the unusualness of the hair in the hands. Come on. That in, a, in so, itself was like. Yes. I mean, I, I'm glad he allowed it. Because he did. that's such an obvious similarity. Throughout the seven-week trial, all evidence was heard. Women even came to testify about their free and unwanted haircuts that they had. Good. Yep. Like I said earlier, Restivo claimed that he had a poor sense of smell, and that's why he didn't smell the bleach. He wasn't really trying to get rid of evidence. And remember his alibi that he was at the computer course when Heather was murdered? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what also comes out during the trial that was unknown to Danilo at the time was that computer experts were able to prove that no human activity happened on his computer that was at his computer course between 9 a.m. and 10.30, when he, which 10.30 is when he actually showed up. And remember, so, 10.30 was when he originally signed in, but he forged a new time later saying it was 9. Yeah. I'm Even, so glad they could shut that down. Yeah. Even more interestingly enough is that the computer had also been used to follow the entire murder investigation for Heather. And they searched for updates on any new witnesses and even searched about the reward that was being offered by crime watchers. Oh, wow. That $10,000 reward. He was probably (laughs) thinking about... He was weighing his options. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly what he was doing. Italian police were brought in to testify about Elisa Clapp's investigation, and forensic investigators came to testify about the similarities, like their bras being cut, their hair, the way that their pants were pulled down, all Mm -hmm. the similarities the forensic experts testified to. Danilo Restivo testified for himself which I find interesting because it's always their choice if they can or not. And he denied being on Heather's street. He said that he wasn't stalking women in the park. He was, because remember, the police were like, hey, by the way, we also got you on surveillance, Mm -hmm. stalking these women. He's like, no, I wasn't stalking women. I was only there to enjoy the wildlife. Oh, of course. The wildlife. You never looked at one wild animal, you idiot. 
a woman's ass is not a raccoon. Stop it. I'm surprised he didn't say that he had mistaken one for a raccoon. Right, right. Nope. Oh, this guy. It gets better. The balaclava was there to help his sinus problems, which I don't know if y'all can hear mine, but my allergies are going crazy. Now I know. What you need is a balaclava. I need a balaclava. (laughs) Someone get me a balaclava for my sinus issues. Oh, my goodness. And hold on. He changed his clothes in the park so many times because he has thyroid issues. I bet he even smells like a worm secretion. I mean, once you throw, like... I don't want to judge, but he does look like he would be smelly. He's smelly, for sure. There's no doubt he's smelly. He killed two women that we know of. We can call him smelly. Mm -hmm. He just looks physically like he would be smelly. So he's just got got these thyroid issues, so he's got to change his clothes a lot. I don't even know what that means. I think that he was indicating that it's making him sweat. Okay. Well, so we, he's like, I'm sweaty and gross. So I change my clothes. It turns women six off. Six times a day. Yeah. So I, I gotta change my clothes a lot. Then, this one's possibly the best. Because he kept bumbling and getting caught up. I mean, he shouldn't have testified for himself, really. Because no, he shouldn't. He's not as smart as he likes to think that he, he is. Because he kept getting tangled up in his own web of lies. Mm-hmm. He claimed that he suffers from sleep apnea, which had a significant impact on his memory. So that way, he could try to cover up any inconsistencies in his story. Like, oh, "Oh, you're right, you're right. Sorry, that's my sleep apnea. I'm not going to discredit that he does look like a heavy breather, but... (laughs) He's a mouth breather for sure. But come on, Hal. I know we have many of listeners right now who suffer from sleep apnea. I'm a heavy breather, so I And they can probably tell you, like, yeah, it disrupts your sleep sometimes, but to the point where you don't remember murdering two women, I'm going to say nay-nay. It slipped my memory. He then... He also denied masturbating in public, saying that he does not remember doing that at all. Which, you guys, I'm not going to lie. If I was flicking the bean in public, I'm not I'm not going to forget it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to admit it. I'm not going to sit on a stand Good and point. admit it to public like, masturbation. Yeah, it was me. Ever. Like, ooh, guilty. No. A good point there. But he did admit to liking the way women's hair feels and smells. But he denied it being sexually motivated, claiming that it started as a dare when he was 15. They were, he was just dared to cut a woman's hair without her knowing. And just from then on, just he was like, it. I like this. I like the feel of it. I like the smell of it. It doesn't give me a boner, I swear. Even if I am massaging said boner <laughs> yeah. while I'm holding it. It's not what it looks like here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this guy. It's my thyroid. Yeah, it's just my thyroid. <laughs> and the fact that I can't smell in English. That's all. Yeah, guys. that's all it is. So he cl- also claims, this is probably my favorite. He also claims that he had no idea it was offensive to cut women's hair without their knowledge. I didn't know that that was a criminal offense and that I was harming someone. I'm done with him. I am done. Like, I cannot take him. It cannot get anymore. I want him out of my life. (laughs) We're almost done. It's okay. Seriously. No, I'm enjoying the case. I'm just like, I can't handle his ridiculous lies. He, what he was really trying to do is try to portray to the jury that he was a lonely, misunderstood man who just wanted to be loved. Doesn't that sound just like the ploy that he used against Elisa to get her to feel sorry for him? 
One news reporter was like, listen, he wants to be seen as the village idiot, mm-hmm. but he is not. Oh, he is, no. He is smart. He is cold, meticulous. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is purposely playing dumb. dumb. And it sounds like because he was kind of creepy looking that he was... It was easy for him to play dumb. Yes. Because you even said, like, the police were even like, I don't know about this guy being right. able to murder someone. Initially, yep. And this isn't necessarily giving anything to do with the case, but I think that it's an interesting side note. There was a whole point in time where they bugged their home of him and Philip Fiamma. Oh, okay. okay? However we say her name. Mm-hmm. Him and his woman. All right, so they bugged the home. They wanted to know what was, you know, the FBI is involved in everything. So right. So they're, they're doing this. What they did discover, he never talked to her. She didn't have her face any charges or anything because she had oh, no idea gotcha. that okay. she had married. She but, was you know, truly clueless. I mean, that she was with, yeah, some creepy guy. But anyway, what, what it did reveal, though, is that they had almost like a parent-like relationship. She, like, had to coddle him. He... He was like a baby that thought and talked like a child. Can you imagine being there listening to this? Probably no. really weird. You, for sure. And you know, like, yes. Was it like a, like, mommy changed my diaper kind of thing? I, or I don't know. There weren't specifics. It just said that he was a babyish man. She... <laughs> Sorry, I just love that yes. description of a giant baby man she chided him for his lies and tried to coax him into learning english like with rewards like she was using like parenting techniques on him to get him to learn english and just be a functioning member of society wow i just want to hear these recordings like just a snippet and what's even worse is that they discovered he talked to his parents in italy as if he were still a young boy oh okay so you know his parents knew he was not working with all of his marbles sure this whole time and just didn't stop him anyway on june 30th 2011 the jury deliberated for five hours and found danilo restivo guilty for the murder of heather barnett now i'm gonna read for you caitlin's victim impact statement that she was able to read in the court and so this is her quoting I used to have nightmares and flashbacks reminding me of the events of November 12th. I also don't like going into bathrooms. I used to think that someone might be waiting for me, and now I just hold a fear of what's on the other side of the bathroom door. It was at that moment that I felt as if my heart had been ripped out. My mom is no longer able to help me celebrate my successes and to pull me through the disappointments. I will never again get the chance to tell her how much I love her or tell her how much I now miss her. I feel a great anger at the accused. Without him, she would still be here. How could he intrude into our safe and happy family home and take her from us in such a horrific and callous way? Yeah, absolutely. so sad. The judge in this case during the sentencing said, you are a cold, depraved, calculated killer, and you knew her children would find her mutilated body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He was like, I am not ever going to give you the minimum term. And even more disgusting... He showed up right after. And you know yep. that was planned. It sure was. He, and he probably he, got some sick he jollies. He had been watching her long enough to know exactly when those kids got home from school. So he mm-hmm. timed his him getting home right then so he could place himself right in the middle of yep, it all. And absolutely. watch the chaos that he enjoyed creating. That part makes me sick. Mm-hmm. So he was given the max sentence, which was life in pri- prison with no minimum 
term. I did find some information that because information of of Elisa Claps's case was brought into this one, even though he hadn't been convicted of it yet, they appealed his conviction. But it, it didn't matter in the appeals court. It didn't go anywhere. Good. He is not getting out who of jail. Who would appeal that? Like, who would be like, oh, we're going to fight His for His lawyers him. have to do their job. You know, they, they are getting paid. paid. Well. Right. Yeah. Elisa's family did not want the death penalty. They want him to rot in prison. They really felt like death was too good. She was finally laid to rest with her actual remains, but they did not hold the funeral in a church. I loved this part. Wow. They refused to put her back in a church, so they held it outside instead. I like that. Me too. Politicians, mayors, all came, like bigwigs, all came to her funeral. Businesses shut down for it. And her gravestone reads, my long journey in the dark has finished on a warm spring day. I am finally home, which I, I thought that. was really cool. I'm going to cry. Okay. That one got me too. I know. It got me. Yee. How many times do we cry on this damn podcast? So many. November 8th, 2011, Elisa Clapp's murder trial was held. However, it was done in absentia, which means he was that Danilo was not present. They asked for him to be extradited, but it was denied because he was in the middle of appealing his conviction on Heather mm. Barnett's murder case. So he did not enter a plea deal, and he also did not dispute the evidence. Like, when you do it in absentia like that, like, that's what happens. On November 11th, 2011, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison for Elisa Clapp's murder. So even if basically, like, even if his appeals did go through and he was, whatever, released on Heather mm-hmm. um, Barnett's murder, he would be extradited to Italy and serve 30 years. Right. Good. Mm-hmm. 30 years still so, doesn't sound like a, a long time when you're talking uh, no, about I this know. crime. Interestingly enough, the Diocese of Potenza tried to sue Restivo for tainting the image of the Holy Trinity Church because of everything that, you know, all the bad press, all of that but it was rejected. I was going to say bold move when it was your priest yeah. that put the bad image out yep, there. Yep. So the church has been closed. Oh, wow. And was it because of that happening? Because of the... Yes, yes. That was when the church remained closed. But I did just see a news article from 2017 where her family is outraged because they were trying to reopen it. And I could not locate a more updated information of whether or not it has been reopened mm. or not. So I'm not, if I, I will post about that if, if an update comes in, because I did set a Google alert to try to find more information. The other thing that you need to understand about this case is whenever I read a news article, I had to have it translated into English because they were all written in Italian. Oh, wow. So there, some stuff can get lost in translation that way as well. That's why I tried to stick with the books mm-hmm. instead of the news articles because it was it got a little difficult. There was a point in time where the translation kept referring to um, Eliana as he. So I I, oh. I spent a good fifteen minutes trying to figure out if her best friend was a male or a female. Right. But anyway, here's here's the other thing. There is growing evidence, and an, another reason why um, that lawsuit for tainting the Holy Trinity's reputation did not go through is because there is growing evidence that Elisa's body was found two months before the official discovery in March 2010. Oh my gosh. There is a priest that says in the church of the Holy Trinity, there were two cleaners that discovered the body in January 2010, but were persuaded to keep it quiet through the Catholic Church because of the image 
that it would result in for the church. The leaky roof was allegedly a pretext to send workmen up into the attic two months later to find her body. Even more disturbing is the fact that there had been workmen in that same attic back in the mid-1990s, and they had only seen a huge pile of tiles and rubble. So the fact that her body was found as it was, exposed, with her glasses perfectly folded at her feet, suggested to many that the crime scene had been tampered with, that the tiles and rubble had been removed in a deliberate attempt to expose the corpse. And even though the famous red button from the scene was found to not match the others from Dom Mimi's robes, Mm -hmm. the role the late priest played is still highly suspicious. Yeah. I wonder if he had any part in it. Or if he just, just knew about it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that he knew about, about it and it. helped cover it up. Mm-hmm. That's what I think did they ever? Did they ever link his parents to, like, paying people off or links to them? No, I really think that it's just one of those that goes without saying. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. re- remember how you were like, wow, they found her right away in the attic. Yes. Yeah. That so, is okay. where the suspicion is. Like, she was placed, you know, they moved the rubble off from her. Because people had mm-hmm. been up there. She had, yeah, she had already been found by the original workers in January. So they kind of planned this to, like, okay, we got to do something. Yeah, like, we can't just leave her there. So two months later is when they're like, all right, let's control it. Let's control how she's that found and so... send two more workmen up there. So that even, I mean, that and tells make you. make sure she's found, yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, Mimi or whatever had passed away, so mm-hmm. you, there's more people that know mm-hmm. about this. My, yep. my, my mind is blown. So, some observers are convinced that a compulsive psychotic killer such as Restivo must have com- committed more murders between 93 and 2002. For sure. Absolutely where my, my mind was going, too. Over the years, he's been linked to many other deaths, particularly to a series of brutal murders in southern France and Spain in September 97. A young French-Algerian woman from mm, Perpignan? I'm going to butcher these things, but long story short, she was stabbed and and her breasts had been removed as well as other body parts. Did they find hair? It does not say that they found hair. Then there's Maria Gonzalez in 98 having been brutally mutilated, lated, and having disappeared around that same area as the other person I mentioned. Then in 99, another woman was stabbed 40 times and one of her breasts had been removed. On Easter Day in 2003, a South Korean woman adopted by an Italian family disappeared. Her body's never been found, but a photograph of her, downloaded from an Italian news channel, was found on Restivo's computer. Oh, wow. The links to these murders may seem kind of fanciful. I mean, you know, it hasn't, he hasn't been convicted of them. But there is one murder in the same suburb of Bournemouth, where Heather Barnett was, mm-hmm. that many are convinced was committed by Restivo. In July 2002, a young Southern Korean girl, known as Oki, was walking home late at night. She was stabbed and left for dead. She died shortly afterwards, having described a man in a mask. Giving her limited English, some have assumed that she meant a balaclava. I was just thinking about that balaclava. Yep. There are unconfirmed reports that her hair was also cut. Mm. The connections to Restivo are tenacious, but suggestive. The murder happened only three blocks from his house. It took place, like the murders of Alyssa and Eliza and Heather, 
on the 12th of the month. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's so all signs point together. Here's what's worse. A man named Omar Ben-Gut was tried an extraordinarily three times for the murder because there were two mistrials because the jury could not reach Uh a verdict. His eventual conviction for the murder appears to many, including professional criminologists, as a tragic miscarriage of justice. So there is another man in prison right now for the murder of that Southern Korea girl, Korean girl that was still there. His yeah, neighborhood. So right now they have asked the oh I forgot the name I forgot to make note of the name, but basically like the the head investigation of crime Mm -hmm. group to relook into his case. I'm glad to hear that because, my gosh, that sounds so similar to what he did to those other women. And and like you said, someone this vicious and just the careful planning and the history really only to... There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. With the amount of women's hair he was cutting all over the place, that was reported. Only 24, 24 was reported. But there are some that may have even went unnoticed. Which, or just, you know, just depending on where he cut the locks from, how long their hair was, like whatever, or just people that didn't bother reporting it because they're like, what the fuck are the police going to do about it? Right. Some or, weirdo cut my hair on the subway. Who's to say you would feel comfortable coming forward because you don't know what right. this guy's doing? Will he come find you? Right. I don't well, blame And that, that's where um, Eliana was at. She knew Danilo and his prominent family. With his prominent family, she knew she was the one to say he was the last person to see her alive. He, she was terrified that he was going to come after her. For and it, sure. And, and I, and that's why she gave that false phone call. Who's to say that there's not others that knew? Like the girl, when they called out specifically, "Hey, we found your hair, and you've been to Florida, you've been to Spain, and you live in the UK, and you changed your diet twice. Come forward." Who's to say that she didn't know exactly, like, that's freaking Danilo, and I don't know what him and his family might do to me. Mm -hmm. So she didn't come forward. You can't tell me that somebody that clearly, he has impulse control problems. There is no way there was only Only two. Only two, yeah. No way. Between that that large of a time frame, look at how long he walked three. From 93 when we know we know being his first murder. Mm -hmm. We don't know that it was really his first murder. And you know, but... The other From 93 thing, to 2011, you he was go free. free? Mm-hmm. And even though once they did actually dig into things, it all made sense, there were things that were originally overlooked. Number one, because they didn't really peg him as the killer, mm-hmm. as somebody that could kill. Yeah. And he was careful about things. Mm-hmm. Once they're dissected, he wasn't that careful. But at first glance, he was. Right. Throw but, a little money in there or whatever. It's like how many times have we seen it, though, that when killers get multiple victims they do get sloppier and sloppier Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare that it would be from one to two that you get sloppy enough to accidentally leave a towel and and then this one yeah not even bothering to cover up the crime or hide the body i mean he knew she would be found shoes away like Mm -hmm. are you so tight for money that you didn't discard those shoes i don't know yeah Uh, he always was trucking up on that says he got sloppier for sure. He was always checking on his crimes, too, like following them yes. and being in, like, involved with them, with the threads yep. and everything. So it's almost like, did he want the recognition? Right. Sometimes I question if they do. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I know they a, do sometimes. Right. but That's all a part of it. Oh, look at all of the things and the just horrible pain this sick little man mm-hmm. caused. And there's a guy in prison that maybe shouldn't be there. I know. That's what kills me. That is breaking my heart and and what Heather's kids had to witness. Yeah. Yeah. Or to so me, sad. like, 
And 17 years that the Claps family went without answers and that poor girl was in the church the whole time. Yeah. Like, oh. It's unbelievable. This is our longest case yet. We're after two hours. I told you. It's a lengthy one. I did a deep dive, and thank you to our Patreon. So we we reinvested money back into buying books, mm-hmm. and this is what you get. More detail. <laughs> Lots um, of details. Let's do a little brain bath, because I can't let's take do it away. It. And it's just little, since this case is so long. But I... I found this was cute. It's from police.com. It's just a little thing that says there was a dog attack. Lower Duck Pond in Letha Park, Ashland. Police responded to a, a report of two dogs running loose and attacking ducks at 11.20 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Naughty dogs. Yes. The officer cited a resident that owned the dogs for having loose dogs. Mm -hmm. But then it says, the duck refused medical treatment and left the area, (laughs) according to the police report. Like, the police officer wrote it in the report. (laughs) The duck refused medical treatment and left the area. He was thorough with his reporting. He was, and I appreciate that. (laughs) I like it. So that's just a cute little tidbit. We hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you keep listening. Yes. And definitely keep it curious. Follow us on our socials. Comment to us. Write us. Whatever you'd like to do. All of that stuff really helps us. All right. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.